Oh man, it's good to be talking to you today. Uh, welcome to Pomerado Christian Church in your living room, I guess. I, I hope you're healthy and strong. I, I hope you have your family gathered around, or maybe it's just you, but I want to talk to you today. And by the way, I am looking forward to when we get to see each other in person again, right? Shake hands, give a hug. These are just really crazy times we're living in. Our, our world, th this is unprecedented for our generation. But God is up to something, and we're going to get through it, and we're going to make the best of it, and, and we're going to study God's word together here today. So I want to say welcome. I, uh, I want to tell you today that I want to talk to you about telling God stories. Now, if you were with us last week, you know the, the topic was experiencing God incidents. Everyone's had a coincidence, you know, when unusual things come together. But when you know that God is in the middle of it, then I don't call that a coincidence. I call that one of those God incidents. And that was, that was last week. Now this week, when you have those kind of God stories, when those times in your life when God is doing something special, then those are important times. And, and it's not just experiencing God incidents, but now we're talking about telling those God stories. All right? So uh, that's what our topic is today. In fact, let's see if we can get the screens up on here. You have God stories. I mean, if you're, if you're listening to me today, God has done something in your life. Why would you be tuning in? I call these God stories. And I want to tell you today that every God story is a good story. Now, in a good story, there are bad elements. There, there is loss, there is pain, there is uh, disappointment, there's struggle. I mean, and, and the Bible is full of all of those kinds of things. But ultimately, every God story is a good story. And what I'm really trying to get you to see today, all of us, that every God story deserves to be well told. Every God story is a good story. And every good story deserves to be well told. Now, I can't think of a better place to turn to, place in the Bible, than the book of Jonah. And of course, we're in our second week of studying the book of Jonah. We're in chapter 2 today. So I'm going to ask you there at wherever you're at, I hope you have a Bible nearby. Maybe you have your, your phone app or a laptop or a computer. Of course, you're probably watching this on some sort of digital device. If you have a paper Bible, maybe just get that out. I, today, I brought my NIV first century study Bible. 
and it has some cool maps about Jonah and so on and so forth. Now, I've also taken the NIV translation, and I'm going to put it up on the screen here in a minute uh, so, so that you can watch here. But you need to have your paper Bible out, too, your, your book form, if possible, and follow along with us now as we dive into Jonah chapter 2. Um, in fact, let me put it up on the screen. But I'm going to tell you, in my version of the Bible, and, and in your translation probably also, you might notice that chapter 2 actually begins, so to speak, or th this section begins with the last verse of chapter 1. In fact, last Sunday, I avoided going after that verse, although this is the one verse that almost everyone remembers. If you know anything about the book of Jonah, it's that fish part of the story that you remember. Most people say Jonah and the whale. Of course, it doesn't say it was a whale. It says it was a fish, but... Um, uh, that, this really belongs in the second chapter. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, it actually is, chapter 1, verse 17, is actually chapter 2, verse 1. Otherwise, it's completely identical. But what I want you to see here is the first part of this story, chapter 1, verse 17, and then the last verse of this chapter, chapter 2, verse 10, really form like bookends because it starts off talking about, let's read it. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then there's this prayer that he prays. And then at the very end of chapter two, it says, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So here are the bookends. And chapter 2 is really about Jonah and the fish. Chapter 1, Jonah and the sailors. Chapter 2, Jonah and the fish. Chapter 3, Jonah and the Ninevites, the people of Nineveh. Chapter 4, Jonah and God. And by the way, all throughout these first three chapters, it's funny, the sailors are more responsive to God than Jonah is. The fish... When, when the, the fish does whatever God tells the fish to do. And the Ninevites, they're responsive to God. Jonah is the one who's always dragging his feet. And even when you get to chapter 4, which JP is going to be bringing to you in a couple weeks, we will finally get to see what's going on with Jonah. So I want to look, first of all, at these bookends. And I did want to call out a particular a question to your mind. And let's just stop right here. And in, in fact, if you're at home or somewhere and you're watching this on video, obviously, then you might want to get ready to hit the pause button uh, so that whoever's with you there, or if you're alone, just think about the answer yourself. I'm going to ask you this question, and I'm going to give you about 10 seconds to hit the pause button. So then I'm going to keep talking, but when you are done discussing, then you can hit the play button again. So here's the question. Here we go. How did Jonah breathe inside the fish for three days? Now, I want you to talk about that, and I have a suggestion. Let everyone answer, and how about starting 
with the youngest to the oldest. Now, nobody knows for sure. I'll just tell you that right off. So any idea could be a possible idea. So I'm going to give you a few seconds, but you pause the video and talk among yourselves there. How did Jonah breathe while he was inside the fish? All right, I'm going to count to 10. All right, we're back together. I hope you had some good answers. In fact, if you had some really good answers, I think we're probably going to have some kind of mechanism for you to share them. You know, type it in, post it somewhere. So I'm, I'm not in charge of that part of this, but I'd be curious. Send us an email. I'd be curious. What are some of the ideas you guys came up with? Do you want to know my answer? All right. My answer is, I don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. And I, I can't imagine, if, if I'm trying to think of a, a naturalistic way, if I'm trying to think of how, how science would answer this question, well, to me, the point is, it's, there is no natural answer. It's a supernatural answer. It's a miracle. How did he breathe inside the fish? Well, it's a miracle. Now, some people would say, well, I don't even think it's a real story. I think it's more like a fable or a metaphor. I don't go there. I think, no, this, the Bible treats this like a real person in a real time and place within a real kind of fish. And by the way, the Bible doesn't say whale. Uh, I'm not pointing at scripture anymore. The Bible doesn't say whale, it says fish. And if God wants to make a fish big enough to carry a man for three days and figure out how to make him breathe, well, see, that's God's business. And I want to say something else, too, while we're at it, because people have questions about Jonah and the whale. Is it possible? And um, the main reason why I believe it's a real person and a real fish is because when we read in the scripture in the New Testament, Jesus treats the story that way. He treats it like real history. In fact, in my regular reading, I just read this yesterday. I was in uh, Luke chapter 11, I think it is, and, and everyone's saying, Jesus, show us a sign. Show us that you're really the Messiah. Come on, we want a miracle. And Jesus said, there's only going to be one sign, and that's the sign of Jonah. He mentions Jonah. And then he says, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, so the Son of Man will be in the tomb for three days and he'll rise again. You want a miracle? There's a miracle for you. Now, you can ask the question, how did Jesus breathe inside the tomb? Well, he didn't. He was dead. But he came back to life again. It's a miracle. And that, that's my answer to this question. We can speculate all kinds of interesting things. But I just accept this story for the way the Bible presents it as a real historical event. It's the only time in history it's ever happened as far as I know. But if God wants to make something happen, he can make it. See, that's what a God story is. They're not all miraculous, but they're all... God working, getting involved in your life. 
All right, so we need to keep moving on. Let me see. Uh, let's go back to the scripture here. And let me call attention to one word. Uh, this is an important word in the book of Jonah, provided. The Lord provided a huge fish. Some translations say the Lord appointed. So there was a fish out there that had an appointment with God and an appointment with Jonah. And he did what he was supposed to do. Uh, so now, this same word shows up three more times. It's in the last chapter. And every time it's an important word. So I'm not going to say anything more about that other than keep your eyes out for this later on in the weeks to come. Now, there's one other. This is just, this is just very interesting to me. I hope you like it. So there's another word I want to show you here. The word fish. Again, it doesn't say whale. I think King James Version is the one that got that started. But my grandson would tell you, a whale is not a fish. It's a sea, uh, oh, I missed the word now, a mammal. <laughs> it's a maritime mammal. In fact, I could probably give you the whole scientific name. I don't know, but it, fish. Now, here's, here's the question. Um, Oh, I wasn't going to show you that screen yet, but I, there it is. How do you say fish in Hebrew? Well, here's the Hebrew word for fish. And it looks funny, obviously, because they use different letters than we do. But if you wanted a Hebrew-speaking person to pronounce that, this is how you say the word fish in Hebrew. Are you ready? You say dog. I think that's funny. I think languages are just weird. Dog. So if you went into a pet store to an, and, and, and a Hebrew speaking person was there and you said, I came to get a dog, you just might walk out of the pet store with an aquarium, not a puppy. Now, to be, to be um, clear here, it's spelled with the letter A. D a G, but it's pronounced dog. So there, you learn you learned something unusual today. So I hope you have a good laugh. There's just some things I think are funny. Okay, first verse. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And now the very last verse says, and then the Lord commanded the fish to vomit Jonah onto the dry land. Now, what we're going to do, we're going to really just dive in. We're, we are going to, I'm going to say, we're going to hack into the book of Jonah, just like computer hackers would go after some really important information. And uh, in fact, I almost used the title hacking Jonah for today, because I know by the time we got to the end of the chapter, there would be this example where the fish actually hacks Jonah. But they told me I can't use that title. So our title is Telling God Stories, okay? And doing a good job of doing that. All right, let's go on. Here we go. You turn in your Bible. I hope you're in now. Chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, now I only have verses 1 and 2 here, but the whole rest of the chapter did you notice? It's weird. I mean, just the way it's printed in the book. And I try to keep the, uh, the line breaks and the indentations on the screen here. 
What's with that? In fact, in your living room there, or family room, or wherever you are, maybe someone knows the answer. Why is this whole chapter uh, indented like this? What's going on? I'll give you a chance for someone to answer. Okay. Did someone say, that's Hebrew poetry, because that's the right answer. This whole section now is a poem. And it's, it's, you might say, well, it doesn't sound like a poem to me. Uh, we read the first line. I don't hear any rhyming going on. But Hebrew poetry is different than our poetry in that when we hear a poem, we, we want to, we expect there to be a repetition of sounds what we hear, a repetition of sounds, right? I mean, that's not the only thing that makes a poem, but here's a famous first line of a poem, first two lines. Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. Oh yeah, that's poetry. I hear a repetition of sounds, but that's our culture. Back in 750 BC, when Jonah was writing this, uh, and all throughout the Hebrew scriptures, poetry is different. It's not a repetition of sound. It's a repetition of ideas. It's the ideas that are repeating. And you might say, well, I don't like that. I like ours better. Okay, fine. But hey, look at it this way. If Jonah had written the kind of poetry in Hebrew that repeated the sounds, we wouldn't get it at all. Because when you translate from one language to another language, the sounds don't translate. They don't translate the same. The ideas translate the same. So when you think about it, the way God inspired the writers to write the scripture, all of that Hebrew poetry, it does translate into our language or any language because it's a repetition of ideas. Now, let's just take, let's take that off the screen and let's begin to read just this uh, second verse, first and second verse. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. All right, and here we go. Quotation mark, got it? He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. Now, let's just take a minute and analyze this as Hebrew poetry, all right? Let's look for the similarities. First of all, in the first line, in my distress, is similar to the third line in the realm of the dead. In fact, it kind of amplifies the idea, doesn't it? I mean, you could be in a lot of different kinds of distress, but Jonah's distress was to the point, he thinks, I'm about to die here. Repetition of ideas. Here's another one. How about in the first line, I called to the Lord. That's similar to what we find in the third line, uh, uh, I called for help. And again, you could call to the Lord in many different ways. Hello, Lord, how are you? 
You call to the Lord. But whoa, whoa, that's not what Jonah is doing. This is not a casual conversation. This is help. And the poetry helps bring out those differences. Every time you read the, the, uh, the, the matching thing, it amplifies it some more. Now, this is just really cool poetry once you start to see what's going on here. Let me show you one more, all right? How about the word, in my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. Yes, God is here, he's going to do something. And the parallel would be, and you. Now, it's not just he, God in personal. It's you, Lord, you answered Answered what? My cry. He's desperate. And God's right there with him. Going to solve his problem. So do you get the idea of how Hebrew poetry is just really cool? And it, it translates to any language. You hurled. Now, we're not going to do that for every single line. Although you could do that in your Bible uh, study. You could do that in the book of Psalms and a lot of places where you see this Hebrew poetry. It's called parallelism, by the way. And there's different kinds of parallelism. So there's a lot you can do on your, in your own study. We're just going to read through and get to the end of the chapter. And then I, I really want to get down to telling your God story and telling it... Uh, uh, making sure it's well told, all right? We're getting there. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. By the way, you might not notice this parallel, but there it is. See the word sight and the word look? He's saying, I think I'm so far out, God can't even see me anymore. And then he realized this fish is coming to rescue him. And I'm going to see the temple again. So this, this play on words is an important part of the poetry. Verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. It's like he's in prison down there. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Now here's a um, kind of a statement about, uh, I think the Ninevites for one thing. To those who cling to worthless idols, I should say it better, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. In other words, he's saying, okay, I'll, go to, I'll finally go to Nineveh. It's about time, Jonah. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Now that's the end of the prayer, and then there's the very last verse, and then we'll be into chapter 3, but that's next week. I just uh, want to circle this. Salvation comes from the Lord. This is 
almost like the title of the poem, although it's put at the end. Salvation comes from the Lord. This is a salvation story. It's like a rescue story. Something you might read in Reader's Digest. Oh, man, this guy was in all kinds of trouble. But he got rescued. Now, this is a God rescue story. Jonah got rescued. And, you know, every Christian should have, well, does have, every Christian has a salvation story. Now, I don't necessarily mean you got saved from physical danger. Maybe you have. Maybe God did that for you. That's a cool story. But every Christian has been saved from sin. That's what it means to be a Christian. That I've, I've recognized that I'm a sinner. And I don't know what to do about it. But God forgave me. And um, in fact... You should know your salvation story. You should be able to tell your story. Doesn't necessarily have to be in poetry, but you know, you should tell your story well. And in fact, in a minute, I'm going to share my salvation story, how I became a Christian. But again, let's, let me just remind you, you have God's stories. God's been working in your life in some simple ways, in some profound ways. If you're a Christian, you have a salvation story. But even, even if you haven't accepted Christ as your savior yet, I got a feeling God's working on you. You can look back in your life and see, wow, God has been at work in my life. You have God's stories, and God's stories are good stories. And God's stories, good stories, deserve to be well told. So, if I were telling my salvation story, and I've, I've told this many times, it can be 10 minutes long or it can be one minute long. Let me take about two minutes. So my story would be this. I grew up in a Christian home. My mother and father, uh, Les Foot and Linnell Foot were good Christian people. They raised their kids. I was the last of four. Raised us to know what is right and wrong. But I knew I didn't do everything right. I knew I had sinned. And as a young child, here's, here's one thing that's very clear in my mind. I remember a time when the newspaper came out with a story on it that said, the scientists have determined, the astrologers have determined there's a certain alignment of the planets that's going to happen. It's never happened before in our lifetime. And it could be the end of the world. Now, probably the newspaper article was exaggerating a bit. But I was a kid. And when I saw that, I thought, wow, this could be the end of the world. Why aren't people responding more, you know? In fact, I knew I'm not ready for my life to end because I had some sins, some wrongs that I had done. And they hadn't been forgiven yet. And this bothered me. And I asked my mom about this. I, I didn't actually ask, how can I have my sins forgiven? I, uh, what I said was, that's what I meant. But what I said was, uh, what's going to happen? Is the world really going to end? And she, like a good mother, said, oh, now, Evan, don't you worry about that. We're going to be fine. And I said, OK. Uh, and by the way, we probably have children in our lives right now who are concerned about what's happening in our world. 
and they probably need to be reassured, don't they? That, hey, God's in control. He's taking care of us. So, but again, what my main concern was, I knew I had sins that needed to be taken care of. And another year or so went by. I don't remember exactly. I just remember the next vignette that's clear in my mind. Traveling in the front seat of my dad's truck. I'm on the passenger side. He's driving. We're going to Leona Valley to a job site. And he just turns to me from the steering wheel. He says, now, Evan, when are you going to accept Christ as your savior? And that was the little push I needed to start doing something about it. So a couple days later, I called up my pastor, Brother Mac Wright, and said, I want to know how to get my sins forgiven. And a day or so later, he took me aside, uh, and I remember exactly where we were, and I remember precisely some of the things he said as he outlined what it means to have sins, what it means that Jesus died on the cross for me, that my sins could be forgiven, and I need to place my faith in Jesus, and that I could do things like being baptized, and, and then he, I remember him explaining communion is a very important thing we do, and so on. Now, maybe I've taken more than two minutes, but that's basically my salvation story. In fact, that very next Sunday, I walked forward at the church. I was baptized that morning. It was Mother's Day. I remember that. And we had kept this a secret from my mom. She didn't know until I walked forward. She was crying. I was crying. But it was okay because I was wet anyway. It was cool. It's an awesome story. That's, that's my salvation story. And um, in, in fact, well, I'll, I'll tell you more about it in a minute. So, do you have your salvation story? Is it clear in your mind? And if you don't have a salvation story, well, now you know what you need to do because I just told you from my story. Your story is going to be different, but the pieces are the same. I'll say more about that. Let me, um, let me ask you another question, and I'll tell you why I'm asking it. So where you are, ask yourself this question. Did Jonah write this poem when he was inside the fish for three days? Did Jonah write this poem when he was inside the fish? Uh, again, I'm going to give you a little bit of time. Ten seconds. Pause it if you want, or just wait, and I'll give you what I'm thinking. All right, I'm back. Did Jonah write this poem when he was inside the fish? Really? I don't think so. I mean, did he have a quill and a parchment inside there? No. I mean, it's, that's impossible. Now, if you think, did he write this poem in the sense of composing it? Did he think it up while he's squished inside that fish? Well, maybe. But I, it says he prayed inside the fish, but was he praying a poem? I don't think so. You might have a different opinion, and that's fine. I think most people, when they're in the middle of a disaster, crisis, they're just calling out to God. I think, obviously, it was written later, and I think it's after he thought about it for a while, oh, the desperate thing, and the desperate situation I was in, and he took the time to write it out in a piece of fabulous Hebrew poetry. You know, your Bible is a fantastic 
literature document or literature documents. And the book of Jonah is one of the best of them. It's a great piece of human literature. It's lasted for thousands of years. We're still telling the story. Now, we would also say it's not just human literature. God's hand was in it. He inspired it. But what I'm saying is, obviously, Jonah took time later to write this out. And aren't you glad? Not only is it such a good story, but it's actually told very well. And that's how I think you should think about your God stories, your salvation story, or any number of other stories. How God helped you when you had a flat tire. How God helped you when you were in the hospital emergency room. How God helped you when you were giving an important speech, or whatever it is. You know, there are hundreds of ways, if you stop to think about it, there are hundreds of ways that God has been active in your life. Those are awesome stories. And as a testimony, as a witness to God, as a witness to the world about God, you know, you should really take time to learn how to tell your stories well. So I have four suggestions. As you think about the way God has been working in your life and how, how you might share it with other people, just like I shared my salvation story with you. So, but and unless you're doing these things, it probably won't be as well told as it could be. So here's my first idea. You have to recognize them. You have to recognize when God's at work in your life. Sometimes he's doing stuff all around us. We're not paying attention to it. So you need to recognize, start paying attention. In fact, this is a very good time to be thinking, what is God doing during this pandemic? Our family is disrupted. Our work is disrupted. Our church services are disrupted. But that doesn't mean God's not doing anything. In fact, let's, let's dig down in and find out just what God is doing in your life. So recognize them, but then also record them. I forget this stuff if I don't write it down. I'm suggesting you should too. In fact, I, this little brown book here is my journal for this year. Actually, I call it Evan's Daily Log. So every day I write down, every morning, so here's what I wrote down about yesterday. Every morning I just jot down the things I did and so on and so forth, some, anything unusual. It, you know, it's just plain old stuff, but that helps me to remember them. And then every once in a while, let me get the next one on. Recognize them, record them, and then revise them. Sometimes I go back and say, that's, God was doing something really unusual. So then I have another series of books. This I call my reflective journal. When something really unusual happened, and I know God was in it, man, I want to write that out. And, and these are for me, but this is a part of how, you know, people wonder, how did you preach all those years and come up with those stories? Well, I'm just kind of paying attention to how God is trying to fix me. There's a lot of, 
that's a treasure trove of stories right there. Because I had a lot of fixing that needed to be done. Still do. So recognize them, record them, and then revise them. In fact, even while I was thinking this uh, last week about how I would tell you my salvation story, it really occurred to me for the first time, and I tried to tell it this way, that my salvation story involves three people in my life. My mother, my father, and my pastor. And each one played a different role because you remember my mother reassured me about the world's not going to end. My dad told me, when are you going to decide for Christ? And Brother Mac told me, okay, here's the things you, you can do. So my, my mother, her part of the story was important because I needed to know the love of God. It's like she gave me a big hug, just like God would. Hey, I love you. We're going to be okay. But my dad's part of the story was you need to decide for God. Doesn't happen automatically. This is a choice you need to make. And then when I called my pastor, he sat down with me. Brother Mac told me, here are the steps you need to take. Everyone needs those three items. And it, it occurred to me that uh, that's how I can frame my salvation story when I tell it. I needed to know the love of God. I needed to make a decision for God. And I needed someone to help show me the way, show me the steps. So that's, a, that's how I revised it this last week. And then one thing, you got to reveal them. By that, I mean it had to start with the letter R. I'm sorry. Tell those stories when you get a chance, just like I've had this chance to tell you my story. So recognize them, record them, revise them, reveal them. You have God stories. And they deserve to be told. And every good story should be well told. Like what Jonah did when he gave us the book of Jonah in the Bible. It's an awesome story. So here are my, here's a final gift to you. I want to give you a simple template. Because a lot of times we don't know, oh, how do I start? So just think of a, an event in your life that God had his hand in. And I'm going to give you three words. These are so simple, you can't forget them. They're kind of, they'll, they'll help you put your story together in a, uh, in, in a delicious format. It's like you're cooking a meal. It's, this works, okay? So first of all, I would say, look for something odd. You know, often God's stories, there's something going on that catches your attention. Now, I don't know, I don't mean weird or outlandish necessarily. You know, a spaceship came and an alien abducted me or something. Okay. Just, it could be, well, for me, it was, oh, I read a newspaper story that scared me about the planets, you know, and so that sticks in my mind. And that, anything like that is a part of what gets your story going. Now, it has to be true. Don't make this stuff up. But there's something unusual about what God's been doing in your life. So start with that. But then the most important thing is look for what's odd and then look for God. What did he do in your story? How did he make the difference? How did he help you with the finances or uh, get you the healing that you needed or put you together with someone who was going to make a huge difference in your life or whatever the God part of the story is? But don't leave that out. I mean, that, that's what makes this a witness to his glory. Your story about what he did for you. All right?
look for what's odd, look for what God did about it, and then there's one other word, because when you tell your story, and you tell it well, we will all be awed. Because that's what a God story does, it's like, wow. God's been in your life. That's amazing. And you have these stories. And we just want to encourage you to be open as you uh, talk with friends or sit down for coffee, you know. Give God the glory for what he's doing in your life. Because I want to tell you, you have God's stories. God's stories are good stories. They might have some difficult places in them, but ultimately they're good. And good stories deserve to be what? Well told. Hey, thank you so much for walking with me through the book of the, the second chapter of the book of Jonah. Next week, we'll be in the third chapter. The week after that, the fourth chapter. And I just believe that God is doing something. He's doing something tremendous in our church right now and in your life and in your family. Let's, you know, instead of running away like Jonah did, instead of running away from what God is doing, let's just run right into it and embrace what God is doing. Someday you'll be telling your grandchildren the awesome things that God did way back in the pandemic of 2020. Let me tell you what God did in my life. All right? And uh, by the way, I got to tell you this, because months ago when we started, when we planned this series, JP said, now be sure to tell people, I'll be in Israel, so I want you to tell people, be sure to invite people to come to Easter Sunday at Pomerado Christian Church. Now right now, we don't even know what that's going to look like. But uh, hey, strike up a conversation. In fact, you might be talking to someone uh, this week. And they'll say, hey, what, what did you do on Sunday? Well, actually, we had virtual church. Actually, we were studying the book of Jonah. And that person might say, oh, now don't tell me. Don't tell me you believe that Jonah was really swallowed by a whale. And you'll have the answer. You say, oh, no, no, no. Actually, you might be surprised, but... In the original documents, the Bible says Jonah was swallowed by a dog. <laughs> I think that's funny. Do <laughs> you have to explain? Now, if someone speaks Hebrew, they'll, they'll wink at you and laugh too. But you might have to explain, well, dog is a Hebrew word for fish. Anyway, go with God. He is so good. He is up to something. May God bless you and keep you and keep you safe in his care. In Jesus' name, amen.